Welcome to the Microdosing for Healing podcast. I'm your host, Casey Garrett, and together we'll be discovering and learning from inspiring voices of healers, medicine keepers, and visionaries. Every episode, we'll explore the world of health, vibrant wellness, and natural medicine for a new era of human society. Welcome to today's episode. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm really delighted today to introduce you to two people that I've been following in the psychedelic medicine space for some time. I very much admire them. They have built and created a beautiful, beautiful retreat center in Mexico that we're going to learn all about today. Please welcome Joelle Briere and Victoria Wishner of Tandava Retreats and 5MEO Training Program. So welcome both of you. I would love to start off with, I've been researching Tandava and Five, and I'm so, so curious where the name Tandava comes from. Hmm. I can answer that one. Um, So Tandava or Tandava is a Sanskrit word, and it comes from uh, the yogic and Hindu tradition. And the Tandava is a dance that the deity Shiva performs when it is time to burn and age down to the ground so a new one can emerge in its place. And so in yogic philosophy, there are different ages or what they call yugas. And as it is time for a yuga to come to an end, Shiva appears and becomes what's called the Nataraj, the cosmic dancer, and engages in the Tandava, the dance of destruction, but also the dance of creation. And so it is that that form of consciousness, that dissolution um, form of consciousness that burns away the old so new can grow, just like a brush fire burns away old growth or, you know, old uh, foliage and whatnot so new growth can sprout up. And so it's a, it's a fresh start while using, while using the decay and entropy of the old as fertilizer for new growth. That's so beautiful and how appropriate for five. <laughs> Yes. I love it. Victoria, if you could take this one. So my community, we practice microdosing and we work exclusively with mushrooms. So as people, I work with lots of beginners and as they grow and gain confidence in their practice, they get curious about other medicines and people often wonder, are they all the same? Are they different? And, and 5-MeO is kind of, I think people no, it's on the other end of the spectrum. It's a big, big, powerful medicine versus microdosing with mushrooms and starting out as a very subtle, subtle start. So lots of people in my community are brand new to, to five and there's so much misconception out there. I would love for you to start off with just for, from a beginner's mind perspective, um, describing what five, what five is and where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And I just kind of also want to touch on, you know, the the beginners coming into working with this medicine, because so many of the people that we work with, I would say about 90% of our participants have never even smoked cannabis before. And so, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of anomaly amongst our colleagues. A lot of people have done a lot 
to kind of work through their own patterns and their own stories and their processes, different routes of therapy, different practices. And a lot of people are coming to us kind of at the end of their rope. I don't know what else to do, but I heard 5-MeO-DMT is this behemoth, the biggest medicine out there. And if there's anything that can fix or heal me, it must be 5-MeO-DMT. So obviously we need to manage a lot of expectations here in allowing people to know that this is a process. It's not a magic bullet. It's going to take work. But yes, it is the world's most powerful medicine and it has the ability to produce a huge catharsis in us, allowing us to really get to the root of where these patterns came from in the beginning and work with them, allowing us to have big transformation in our lives. So for people who are interested in 5-MeO-DMT who've never worked with anything other than microdoses, you know, for us, it kind of boils down to a willingness to surrender a willingness to engage with the process and a mindset and an attitude of, you know, excitement, no matter what it brings, even if it's going to be challenging, even if it's going to be beautiful and blissful, just in a willingness to engage with that entire process as a whole. And so where 5-MeO-DMT comes from, you know, it's actually found in and within the body. Uh, It's found in nature. So we can find it in different seeds and barks and roots. Um, One of the more popular places that it's found that we've probably all heard of here listening is the Bufalavarius secretion, which comes from a toad uh, who's in the Sonoran Desert mainly, but also in Colorado. Um, And then it's also synthesized. So this is the one that we work with uh, for many different reasons. If you're curious, I can can go into that. But um, this synthesized version is a a really beautiful way to work into things therapeutically. Um, It gives us a really accurate measurement, uh, allowing us to work with participants in a a really powerful way. Wonderful. And and to distinguish the choice to use the synthetic is the protection of the toad itself primarily, right? There's a few different things here. So one is just that, you know, because of the rise in popularity with this medicine, the toads are just facing an enormous uh, issues, you know, from conservation of them being injured. You know, sometimes people will grab the toads, they'll put them in these bins and they'll just stuff tons of toads in those bins and they're getting tossed around. Their limbs might get broken. Um, You know, we're going as human beings into their habitats without gloves and we might touch one toad who might have chytrid fungus. And because we're not wearing gloves and changing the gloves, we might start spreading that chytrid fungus around the, the different toads and it actually affects their hearts. Um, there, there's so much to this. So the toads are being faced with a lot. Um, and then also safety as well. So you know, with toad secretion, there's anywhere from 10 to 30% 5-MeO-DMT. So even with the world's most accurate scale, us as facilitators have no idea how much we're giving someone, which is a really important thing. Um, the other piece as well is that some of the additional alkaloids and tryptamines within the secretion have um, cardiotoxic elements. So for people like us who work with a lot of elderly participants who might have underlying heart conditions, this raises risk. Got it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Joelle, I'm I'm so curious. Who are you guys seeing come to Tandaba? Good question. You know, it's been a big shift over the past few years where I would say prior to 2019, 2020, our demographic were plant medicine enthusiasts, psychonauts, um, spiritual seekers, people who have kind of been down the road, so to say, you know, had some different experiences, cracked through some layers, and we're looking for that big mystical experience. Uh, as psychedelics began to get pushed out to the mainstream more for mental health rather than exploration, 
we saw a big shift in our demographic, particularly after you know a few articles came out kind of showing the potency and potential of its therapeutic uh, aspects. So around 2019, 2020, we started seeing a pretty big shift in demographic, more towards people who, as Victoria said, were far less experienced. Almost all of our participants now have never had any experience with psychedelics. Most of them haven't even smoked cannabis, but they're people who are suffering deeply. People who have tried traditional forms of therapy, uh, many of them for decades, you know, with little to no success um, and are at the end of the rope and are looking for something that can help bring a dramatic shift. Um, and so that is a good part of our, uh, had been a good part of our participants for the past few years. And now we're getting more uh, seekers as well. You know, we just wrapped up a retreat uh, day before yesterday. That was a beautiful group of, uh, I mean, Jedi warriors. It was, it was mostly people who had been doing different kind of modalities within themselves, working with different things, finding deep layers of self-discovery and looking for an extra oomph, you know, an extra push to really take them to that next level. And so it's really, really beautiful. Um, you know, so as Victoria may have alluded to previously, we get a bit of a range of demographic from people who are deeply, deeply suffering um, to people who are looking towards optimizing their own uh, their own day-to-day -day life and falling into a deeper connection with that stillness at the center. Wonderful. Victoria, can you share a little bit about the, the ceremony itself? Because I think 5-MEO is so unique in that people are used to like a mushroom trip taking a whole day or <laughs> and going on. And and 5-MEO, it's actually the ceremony itself is much shorter, I think, than people realize. But the container you hold because of the power of the medicine is much larger than just the ceremony itself. So can you share a little bit about the, the preparation, the ceremony itself and, and the aftercare you might provide? Absolutely. Yeah. So our regular protocols are a seven week protocol. So before the retreat, there's two different preparation calls where we're really diving into the participants process with them using different journaling prompts, seeing what kind of fears might come up, what their relationship is like with things like control and, and fear and death, you know, all the things that this medicine might bring up and just, yeah, really, really getting in there. And in that preparation process, it's giving us all of the kind of information that we need so that we can really tailor the container and the experience to them. We're choosing routes of administration, we're choosing dosage, we're choosing different practices that might serve that person different ways of um, speaking, you know, different participants might be more adverse to different types of languages or more drawn to them. Um, we get a lot of people who you know, maybe don't feel comfortable in the spiritual lenses. And so we're using different types of words. Um, and then when they come here on site, we've got five days. In those five days, we have two different medicine sessions. And so how we go is going to be completely unique to each person and their their needs. Um, and there's four weeks after of integration. And so the integration is, again, going to be specific to the person. So after we've spent all of our prep time, all of our time during the retreat with them, we're getting to see what's been coming up in their process and what different um, types of integration specialists, because we have a whole team of them, might be the best one for their process. And so we team them up with them for four weeks, really allowing them to get the most out of the experience. Thank you. And the ceremony itself, how long is does the ceremony typically last? 
Yeah, it's again, super dependent on the person. So, you know, generally the experience lasts anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes with X factors on both sides, but we do allow in each of our sessions for participants to go up to three rounds. And so we have a symbol that we use, you know, if they're in the experience and for example, they're really getting a lot of work done, but they feel they're getting back into their body and they want to go back in, they would use this symbol. Um, or for, for example, maybe it's a really beautiful, blissful experience and they don't want to come back yet. They have the opportunity to go back in. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes our sessions can go upwards of an hour and a half, two hours, depending. Love it. Beautiful. Joelle, given the, the power of this medicine, I would think that the set, the setting is exceptionally important and part of the process. So, Tendava, like take us through Tendava. What does it feel like to be there? Where is it located? Um, when did you conceive it? When did it open? Yeah, tell us a little bit about the the setting you've created. So Tendava, we are here at the flagship center um, in Tepozlan, Mexico. And for those who are not familiar, Tepozlan is a very, very, very beautiful little nook of the world. Uh, it's a lush, fertile valley um, around 6,000 feet elevation. It's eternally spring weather here. There's flowers and butterflies and hummingbirds year round. It is a very just quaint, safe, nurturing place to be. There's essentially no crime rate here. There's a beautiful quality of life. Um, it's a very, very family and children friendly area where kids are allowed to be kids. This land has always had a very nurturing feel. You know, we're surrounded by these big dramatic mountains that just hold you and nestle you like a nice cradle. The mountains during this time of year especially are lush with different types of edible mushrooms, both psychedelic and functional. And the land here is the earth is super fertile. Um, you know, we're just a few hours from a big volcano. And, you know, you can just grow anything here. So fruit grows abundantly, food grows abundantly. Um, it's a wonderful place. And, you know, this kind of where we're at is, a, you know, an evolution of an idea conceived over 20 years ago. Um, but, you know, our whole team comes from hospitality. Uh, we all come from the hospitality space and something that we both have, a deep, that we all have a deep passion for, but also find something to be very essential to successful work with these medicine is creating a space where the mind can feel that it's stepping out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary. So that shift in awareness allows us that lens of going in to do deep work that may involve in entering mystic realms and, uh, you know, going on a hero's journey. And so this property we're on is, is a strikingly beautiful property. We're surrounded by these big dramatic mountains when we've got great views. We've got a beautiful trees and amazing flowers all over the place. And there's a nice, nice, big, just grass area where you can just roll around and just, you know, once you come here, you kick your shoes off and you don't need to put them back on until you leave on Sunday. Uh, you know, our, our medicine space, which we're in right now, we converted over from an old wedding chapel. And so it's already got that sacred feeling of divine union. And, um, you know, when we have our sessions, we have a, a nice big, big bed over there, nice comfy pads everywhere. And the idea is just to create a nurturing, safe, cozy space that just continues to wow and allow you to feel that you are 
in the extraordinary realms, because that's something that can be so important to this type of process, going into this type of big experience. The set and setting isn't just where we're at during the time of that session. The set and setting evolves the sense of safety and trust we establish during the preparation period of getting to understand what their deepest fears may be that may come up during the session, and not just how we can mitigate it being a terrifying experience, but more so understanding how we can utilize that medicine to act as a vehicle for catharsis, to find all the different aspects of our psyche that get in the way of us remembering our true wholeness and get to bring healing and nurturing to those parts of ourselves. And so the entire container is geared towards that. And the center is almost the nucleus of the container, you know, where we can really hold that sacred and safe space where it's not just about healing, but also about expansion and growth, because it's important. We don't get stuck in healing. And so this is the land of eternal spring. You know, this is a land where things grow and it just has that expansive feeling. And so that's another very, very important aspect that goes into the set and setting is just remembering that it's not all just about healing, but we want to be able to go out and expand and, uh, and go from our internal soothing to external exploration that results in influencing others and shining that light so bright that it uh, in, in inspires others to seek their own. Beautiful. Yeah, I was, I was, it was remarkable looking at your team that you've assembled there. And I love that you come at, they come from service, you know, being of service and a lot of creating a container and a setting is care fundamentally. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for drawing from that. Uh, Victoria, I'm so curious what, you know, I think the the modern media portrays so many psychedelics in the frame of, you know, the Western lens of pharmaceutical and fixing. And so the diagnosis of, of things, I'm curious um, what you're seeing great effectiveness for specifically for, so for example, to give you a little more context, it has been remarkable in our mushroom practice. We've seen, two great areas of healing. I mean, among many, but one is nervous system healing, like unbelievably healing from nervous system disorders of all types. Also women's reproductive PMDD, PMS, hormonal dysregulation, amazing, remarkable results. So outside of kind of the mainstream press, what are you guys seeing just since you're directly working with people? What kind of results are you seeing on, on the ground with people? Yeah, I would say depression is something that this medicine is really good at targeting, specifically because when we're in depression, there's this sense of feeling kind of disconnected from the world, you know, kind of feeling lost. Um, there's a confusion there. And with this medicine and that peak experience, there's a, a remembrance of who and what we are. We're coming back home. Everything kind of falls back into place again. And us being able to have that remembrance to come back into the body with, we call it an elixir here, the return with the elixir because we use the hero's journey. But returning with that elixir within us, suddenly this light that seems so dim within us is back on and it's bright and it's powerful. And it allows us to go back into the world shining brightly with an excitement um, 
looking forward, you know, to our future rather than feeling this kind of deep bogged down sadness we have. So we've seen a lot of um, a lot of success with that, particularly with participants, again, with a positive mindset coming into this. Oftentimes, the people with the um, with the deepest depression, they've been working with therapists for a long time and they're coming to this medicine to see what it can do. And so they've done a lot of inner work into themselves. They're willing to do the work. And then they have a container on the other side, not just with our integration specialist, but oftentimes still with their therapists. And so they're willing to put the mud boots on. They're willing to do the work. And that's honestly where we see the most um, the most transformation. And then as well, I would say another kind of demographic would be um, sexual trauma as well, because, you know, as human beings, we go through trauma and we store it within our body. And 5-MeO-DMT is such a powerful tool for catharsis in that catharsis bringing all the somatic material up to be worked with, to be, you know, kind of pushed out in its own timing. Um, so, you know, we see a lot of people with sexual trauma coming and kind of living, reliving that trauma in a different way through their experience, allowing it to come up. And um, yeah, I, I would say that those are kind of the two, the two main ones. Yeah. Amongst many, but we do see a lot of potency for those. Wonderful. Joel, one of the things I've loved and admired following you is you have really held out a, a voice and a vision for how important it is to hold a, this responsibility of carrying medicine with responsibility, with reverence, with honor um, consistently over the, over the years that I have followed you, which I so appreciate. Because of this medicine's power, it also holds the same power for destabilization when not held in the right hand. So given that you have held a voice and a vision for, for ethics in this space, I would love for you to talk about um, things to look out for if people are new to this medicine and looking around for experiences, what you kind of want to look for in a retreat center, in a facilitator, and what are maybe some red flags to watch out right. for. Yes. Question. Yes. Thank you. Uh, firstly, I think the first question would be, is this medicine right for me right now? Am I in a place in my life where I am okay to possibly go through a little bit of destabilization afterwards in my integration period? Do I have the right support system around me? You know, things like this initial questions are going to be really, really helpful. These are also things that should and can be asked during a discovery call with a practitioner or a retreat center. We've got a great list of questions to ask your facilitator, or what to ask your retreat center on the five platforms. So I highly encourage people to look at that because it's really important that you as a participant feel uh, empowered enough, feel confident enough to ask questions, even if they may feel a little uncomfortable. Ask a facilitator how long they've been serving for. Ask them where they did their training or what they did to train. Inquire if they've gone through mentorship or anything like that. Ask them about what support you'll receive afterwards. If there's not clear information and clear communication around that, that's generally a red flag. If there is no preparation nor integration offered, that's also a red flag. 5-MeO-DMT is a powerful substance. And if the practitioner is going, okay, well, we'll have this day session and then you've got my number if you need me afterwards, that doesn't fly with this. Of course it can with many people, but there is still a significant risk 
that that person will become destabilized. And it is a practitioner's responsibility. If we are cracking people this wide open, that we provide a support system to help contain, um, AKA a container. <laughs> so a lack of a container is another red flag. Um, an absence of a medical and psychological screening form is also a red flag. There's uh, quite a few medical contraindications um, with this, both via medications, psychological conditions that can become exacerbated, different things like this. Um, if someone is just serving by themselves and not, you know, serving with either at least another person or a team, that's also a red flag. Uh, you always want at least two people um, present because a participant can become physically dynamic on this medicine and may require assistance to cushion their bodies. We don't want to restrain them. We want to let their body play out a catharsis, but we want to keep them safe. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong here. So you need a practitioner who understands this medicine, understands uh, and is educated and trained in first aid um, protocols. And another great question to ask is, what is your emergency protocols? Making sure that they have emergent, an emergency plan in case of the worst. If they don't, that's another red flag. You know, there's been quite a few incidents with this medicine and Pretty much all of them could be could have been mitigated with a bit of education, uh, both on a practitioner side and on a participant side. And it's our duty as practitioners to educate our participants on what they're getting themselves into. And um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of that had gone wrong. You know, particularly between 2012 and 2018. You know, there was a uh, quite a bit of chaos, but it's still happening. You look on YouTube and you'll see some scary stuff. You'll see people getting served on sand or, you know, in the woods with no real cushion or padding and their bodies going into what looks like exorcism, you know, movement. And so this is big stuff. And you want to make sure that you're going into it with people that you feel safe with, because at the end of the day, the last thing the mind is going to think before total dissolution is, am I in a safe place to fully let go? Am I in a safe place to give up control? Because this is the one medicine that can stand out from all other medicines in its ability to facilitate that total dissolution of individual self temporarily, aka the ego death or ego dissolution, whatever term we want to give. It's an idea that's been misunderstood for a long time, but 5-MeO is really the only one that will reliably or can reliably uh, allow this experience to happen. And it's a big one. It's a very, very big one. And this experience is that pure kind of classical mystical experience that's been spoken about for millennia. And so it does deserve to be approached with reverence. And that doesn't mean this has to seem like a, a quote unquote sacred or spiritual ceremony. This can be done through lens of quantum physics and full rational logic, even though we will have to embrace the paradoxes that some things will defy logic. This experience does defy logic. But we encounter the same thing in quantum physics and science. The further in we look, the deeper we look in a microscope, things stop to becoming solid. Things become a little less uh, attached. And so these paradoxes are something that we have to allow within the psychedelic framework. And um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully said. Yes. Well, Coming from that inspiration, I'd love to shift to Five, which is your beautiful educational platform. I know it's been such a treat to watch you, Victoria, because when I originally met you, I think this was just an inspired 
idea and vision and to see you bring this to life. It's such a beautiful, I know you're wrapping up your first full year with your inaugural program. And one of our coaches, one of our coaches at Microdosing for Healing is actually in your program right now. So I've had a little, little seat next to it and it's rich. It is exceptionally thorough. You've assembled a really amazing, deep team of educators. So congratulations, first and foremost. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about it. I know you have your second second uh, cohort opening up shortly, right? Um, so yeah, share, share a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So first, I'll just kind of share about five in general. So for those who've never heard of five, it stands for five MEO DMT information and vital education. And this is a free resource hub to the community all around five MEO DMT. So this is originally what it started as. Um, so the website for anybody that's curious is uh, five-meo.education. You can go there and find everything you could possibly need to know about five five MEO DMT. There's an information page, FAQs, scientific research, lectures, webinars. Actually, that being said, we do monthly webinars. We bring in different guests that come in and speak about different topics around 5-MeO-DMT. This month, we have one coming in all around NDEs. Um, There's Dr. Pascal Michaels coming in. Uh, He studied 5-MeO-DMT and NDEs and seen a huge correlation. So we're really excited to have him. Um, And so essentially, this all was birthed out of a wanting of people to understand 5-MeO-DMT. There's just so much going going on in the 5-MeO community that is really pure chaos. And so we birthed this out um, of a desperacy, I would say, <laughs> a need. Um, and I do think that it's been really well received in the community and helping a lot of people responsibly and respectfully um, kind of approaching this medicine. And then we we decided to add a training aspect to it. So we have the one year, which is actually getting condensed down to nine months for our 2024 cohort. Essentially, the way that this looks is each student will get a topic every week. With that topic, they get multiple videos, multiple handouts, and then we have a community call that's all around the topics. We can really sink our teeth into it, getting a deep understanding, going into breakout rooms, really, yeah, fully, fully grasping that topic. And so we do that for eight and a half months. And then we have two weeks on site here, really getting hands-on experiences here at, uh, here at Tandava. And so just like you were saying, we brought in over 35 guests teachers and speakers to support us in this because yes, Joel and I have some knowledge, but we don't know everything, you know? So we have to bring in to bring in different experts in their fields. And in this way, the students are really getting a well-rounded understanding of 5-MeO-DMT and how to safely shepherd it out into the world. Mm-hmm. Everything from pharmacology and neuroscience to mysticism. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Who in in your first cohort, are you drawing clinicians? Is it people who are already in the community? Is people new to the medicine? I'm so curious. Yeah, yeah. So all of the people that are in the um, training all have um, relationship with 5-MeO-DMT. That's one of our prerequisites. But primarily, I would say it's kind of broken up to, into thirds. We've got um, clinicians, we've got therapists, and then we've got psychonauts, like, you know, people that are already serving psilocybin or, you know, ketamine, things like that. That's fantastic, as it, as it should be, ideally. It's beautiful getting everyone in the room. Now, is there anything, um, have you... 
experienced any surprises through your first experience in the process? Hmm. Surprises. Surprises. I don't think so. I mean, not huge surprises through the first. I mean, it's been beautiful, beautiful program. Uh-huh. Um, we've had a lot of fun in it. Surprises. Maybe I'll, sh- just- I'll share one to give you more context. Yeah. So, uh, in my first year of our of our microdosing paralympic program, I had a lot of concern about a group being able to gel together. You know, I was kind of of the mindset like of affinity groups, like people had to be young people needed to be with young people and older people needed to be with older people and people with similar background. That completely was not the case. It was really, really surprising to me how much everybody kind of drawed each other together. And one of the elements that did surprise me was it was far more important, the amount of vulnerability people were willing to bring to their own process, to the group process, and how much previous personal work they had done openly with themselves. That has been a much more distinguishing factor in the group experience than, say, was someone a doctor versus someone's 21. So that was what kind of one of my learnings that I would not have known until I kind of was through the first year, right? So- I love it. Yeah, neat. Yes. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the retreats that you do. So when you're drawing a retreat together, are they thematic retreats or do you allow people to kind of just draw each other in? So we've got a few different models and I'll speak about some of them and then I'll pass it to uh, Victoria to, to share about a few. Um, so our main two protocol, our main protocol is called Inhale. Um, And this is an introspective container where we take a max of six participants. Uh, We do two weeks of individual preparation with each of them via Zoom uh, done privately. While they're here on site, their medicine sessions are done privately. uh, And they get their own personal integration specialist for four weeks afterwards. Um, And then there's still group activities. You know, there's morning practice with gentle yoga, breath work and meditation. They're sharing circles and workshops in the evenings. Um, on one of the days, we do a traditional Temescal sweat lodge uh, run by a local Temescalero. You know, so there's still some group activities as well, but it's an individualized approach. Then we have Exhale, and Exhale is more of a group exploration retreat. Um, these we take up to 12 people. Generally, we like people to either be already experienced with 5-MeO or not in an acute healing process. Um, so this type of retreat would not be necessarily appropriate for someone working through deep sexual trauma um, and it's still in a very raw stage where it, where they go into a visceral state when triggered um, this is more for an outward experience and so the medicine sessions while on the preparations done as a group via zoom the medicine sessions are done as a group still one at a time but the entire group is there holding space and it can be really lovely. And then one of the uh, the, the sessions, we uh, we do uh, low to medium doses all together as a group and people can interact and it can get very beautiful. Um, and then integration is done as a group. So those are the main two we do. And then we've got some specialized ones. And uh, Victoria has an upcoming uh, female survivors of sexual trauma. And we've got a couple's retreat coming up if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the sexual trauma one. This is one I'm I'm just so excited about. I come from a background of sexual trauma myself, so it's something that I 
have been wanting to put into the works, but also understanding when we're talking about sexual trauma, how big this is for women to step into this type of container and really needing the support system there, um, whatever that looks like. And so what we've brought in is Dr. Holly Richmond, who specializes in sexual trauma, somatics, couples as well. We're doing the couples retreat with her. Um, so she's going to be here on site, as well as Sarah Snedeker, who's an integration specialist who specializes in somatics and internal family systems. And we'll also have a nurse on site. So we're really just staffing this thing to the T. Um, but the idea here is creating a safe space for women to come and explore the sexual trauma, to start working into it, being with it, while being in a space with other women who have also been through this. Because so many women who've been through sexual trauma, you know, we just kind of step it down. We don't talk about it. There's a lot of shame wrapped up around it. And we don't have a lot of community to kind of share what we've been through and realize that other people have been through this too. And in that we can open up and be very vulnerable and allow us to get to very deep levels of our process. And so we're going to be utilizing obviously the medicine, but also uh, Dr. Holly Richmond is coming in with sexual trauma specific workshops. And so the way that we really tailor the different practices, the workshop, the medicines, the um, kind of group discussions and integration is specific to kind of slowly titrating women into a space where they feel safe enough to slowly go deeper and deeper and deeper into the process into this in this group environment. And um, yeah, I'm I'm just so excited about it. We have an incredible group of women coming from all around the world, and yeah, it's going to be juicy. So beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Your passion for it comes through. Yeah. You're speaking about it. Absolutely. I'm so curious to learn about the preparation process because people are going on retreat with you, setting out dates, booking flights. You know, it's, it makes the experience very different than you're stepping outside of your regular life and giving you more preparation process. One thing that I have found to be very, um, game changing, even with microdosing practice is diet and purifying the body and opening your channels to, to get ready to, to meet the medicine. Because a lot of times it's not that the medicine quote unquote, isn't working. It's that you have too many layers between your experience to, to, to meet the medicine. So I'm curious, given people sometimes will wait months of planning ahead, what are some of the best practices you have seen in kind of preparing the body and spirit for being with you? Good question. And it's going to be a very counterintuitive answer with, uh, with this and how we've come to work. So traditionally, you know, I started hosting retreats in 2011, I believe. And for quite a long time, our retreats were all vegetarian. Some of them were raw food, um, raw vegan. I led some of those a long time ago. Um, and they slowly, slowly started to shift and the way we would have people prepare began to shift as our demographic shifted. As I mentioned, most of our participants coming to us are in such a raw state and are not people who have ventured into any spiritual discipline before like this. And so that can make it almost even more confrontational and make it feel almost even more unachievable and undoable for them. And so we've actually taken a bit of a different approach and gone with the most nurturing, you know, everything possible with really tailoring to what exactly they want and what they need. So we tailor to any diet while we're here, 
when people are asking about preparation um, in terms of diet, what we tell them is eat in ways beforehand that allow you to feel that you're caring for yourself. Eat in ways that allow you to feel that you're nurturing and nourishing yourself. What we want to do is we want to start building those openings towards self-care and self-love. You know, the secret ingredient to any good process. And, you know, sometimes that may mean, you know, some good ice cream. Sometimes that may mean eggs and bacon, you know, and, uh, and just yummy stuff. And so we have a much more kind of Southern grandma approach to, to, to diet, I would say. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, really in terms of the preparation with us, it's a lot more focused on self-inquiry. Um, you know, as Victoria said, we use a lot of journaling prompts in the preparatory period. Sometimes we'll use parts work or internal family systems, getting to know the different parts of the participant, getting to know their hopes, their intentions, their fears, and getting to see how we can navigate that, getting to understand them well enough so we can create a container that's suited for them. And so the preparatory process is unique for each individual. But one of the main things that we offer participants beforehand is just practices of self-love, practices of self-care, um, setting up your nesting period for afterwards, you know, leaving some sweet things for yourself that like will make you happy when you come home, you know, and, uh, you know, some really, really nice scented bath salts or bath bomb and, you know, your good candles, you know, whatever it takes for you to be able to go back and continue this nurturing process. And so, yeah, while we're here, you know, rather than strict vegetarian meals these days, we're having all types of delicious food and it's all locally sourced and all natural and all organic. And yeah, Sundays, you know, departure day Sundays, you know, and it's the music shifts from kind of more sacred and spiritual sounding music to doo-wop and soul music. And we're having coffee and eggs and bacon. And it's, uh, it, you know, Sunday is a day of rest and, uh, and just catching the good vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Speaking of we're, we're, we're speaking post Denver conference. And I did hear from a number of people that, that you guys threw the best party there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we also know how to party. You know? <laughs> love it. Love it. Victoria, I have been hearing from more and more people going out to experiences and experiencing bigger medicines where people are serving multiple different types of medicine within a weekend or yeah. within a week. Can you, I would love to hear your take on this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, please. Yeah. I feel there's fire inside of me with this question. <laughs> it, it's a big question, a really important conversation to have. You know, I think there's a lot of facilitators out there that think that the more medicines this they serve, the more kind of wow factor they're going to have, the more people are going to want to sit with them. And, you know, there's the question, like, if you're serving three, four medicines, are you actually dedicated to those crafts? Like how much time have you spent on each of those medicines? Mm -hmm. You know, is this, is this something that you're fully embodying? Um, and then do they even know the contraindications? You know, there's a lot of people, for example, who will go to an ayahuasca ceremony. They'll do five that night and then they'll do camo, which there's so many contraindications there. 
Um, so there's a lot of safety aspects that we need to think about, as well as giving each of these medicines their own container. Each of these medicines have such deep wisdom and insights that they're bringing to us. And if we just keep packing on the different medicines, we're not actually giving it the container that it deserves to give us those insights to really be with them. And so we always like to say, especially with 5-MeO-DMT, please, please give 5-MeO-DMT its own container. You know, wait a while until you do another medicine. And if you're feeling the call to do another medicine, really tap in and see if you're feeling the call from your heart or if you're feeling the call from your head. Because with our Western minds, we're constantly kind of looking for that quick fix. You know, we might uh-huh. slip back down into another another pattern in our integration process, which is completely normal. You know, that gives us what we need to do the integration work. But if we slip into that pattern and think, oh no, I ruined everything. I need to do more medicine. We're really just bypassing all of our work. So yeah, I I love this conversation. Um, I definitely think that it's something that needs more thought. And for those who are thinking about going to do these medicines, yeah, maybe going to sit with a facilitator who only focuses on one or two medicines. Thank you for that. Joelle, what have you seen working with 5-MeO with people suffering from addictions? Mm, Addictions, you know... It's not one of our main demographics that we work with, but I myself have a history of addiction. You know, I went through a pretty hardcore addiction with essentially every substance under the sun, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's something that I see a lot of potential with. Of course, Iboga um, is is generally the the, the go-to for addiction interruption. But, you know, there's a a great quote I love, and it's getting clean is the easy part, but then comes life. And so, as Gabor Mate said, there can be no addiction without trauma. There can be no addiction without deep wounds. Working with 5-MeO can allow us to nurture and soothe those deep wounds. So those, you know, what we can call protector parts, those uh, those firefighters don't, um, those firefighter parts of our psyche don't require us to numb ourselves to the potential pain that we may feel by acknowledging that internal wound. Um, and so... You know, 5-MeO post Ibogaine and Iboga um, was, in, you know, started getting pioneered around, what was it, 2010, 2012, uh, Martin Polanco and uh, Joseph Persuglia. Um, they, you know, did a lot around f- f- discovering the efficacy of that, uh, that coupling. And so there are a few centers that do pursue it with great success. Um, we're conveniently right across the street from Iboga Quest, you know, an Iboga retreat center here in Tepoztlan that deals with the addiction interruption. So occasionally we will have people go do treatments there then to come over here to do a post-treatment and really deal with finding that resolution, um, finding, you know, what draw me into this in the first place. Thank you. Victoria, is it possible to microdose? 5-MeO-DMT. Is that even a thing? Yeah. Even with really, really small doses with 5-MeO-DMT, it can mow you down. You know, both Joelle and I, Joelle and I have had the experience of, you know, wanting to go in with really tiny doses and suddenly we're in the infinite cosmos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is a group of people that are kind of trying Just, to work, yeah. work towards this, but yeah, I, I don't have any knowledge as of yet of 5-MeO-DMT microdoses actually being a thing. Yeah. The Pattern Project in Canada is working with sub one milligram doses um, via vaporization. However, in any pretty much stage, I can't 
I've never experienced 5-MeO being sub-perceptual. So for a true microdose, I don't think it can possibly happen. You can have small bits of it, but uh, I've never, I can't conceive a sub-perceptual 5-MeO experience on any fraction of a milligram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our community is going to ask, so I figured I'll, I'll ask for them. Um, mm-hmm. The other question people often ask is when they're preparing for a, a big experience, and they are practicing plant dietas or microdosing. How do you, do you have a recommendation of, you know, to pause your other practices in preparation it's, for their journey? It's going to deeply depend on each person. It's going to be a different case for each individual, um, depending on their relationship with what they're doing, um, with their stability within there um, and their support system and where they are in their life. Um, whereas, one person who's been on, on a dieta for, you know, 30 days is in a, you know, perfectly centered place and really ready to go into some very deep ex- exploration. Whereas another person who is doing their first dieta, and, you know, is maybe a week or two in might feel incredibly ungrounded and, and can become kind of untethered with this type of experience. So it would be uh, be very individual. Amazing. So I've been so curious to, to shift into this topic um, because you you two know intimately well. One of the challenges, I mean, you can see the gorgeous facility you're sitting in in the temple behind you and you have gorgeous grounds and a, a team and facility that you run investors um, as part of your, your organization. It becomes challenging, I think, to run a heart-led, spirit-led, you know, direct with your holding space, holding sacred containers, and then also coexist like in the muggle world (laughs) with spreadsheets and investor demands and, and things. So a lot of people, I mean, I feel like every week I get approached on social media and people within my greater community who have a personally transformative experience and they're like, I want to open a retreat center. center. And I have had the experience, you know, I've had healing art studios with a very large team and multiple locations. And it, (laughs) I, we would always joke my manager and I, the, the more serene and calm and placid and consistent, everything looks on the outside that meant behind the scenes, there was a commensurate amount of a lot of people doing a lot of hard work behind yeah. the scenes to kind of make everything, um, to hold a sacred container that appeared, that's very peaceful and calm to, to all of our guests. So having done it, <laughs> I would love for you to talk about negotiating like the business side of running a spiritual, you know, sacred therapeutic business and navigating kind of having feet in both of those worlds. Oh, yes. Running a retreat center. First of all, if you had a, had a beautiful experience at a retreat and all of a sudden become inspired, wait five or 10 years first. It's not going to be the dream that you're thinking it is. It's extremely hard work, extremely challenging. Um, I can't imagine where I would be if I didn't already have foundational practices that can regulate the nervous system and to where I can understand the different parts of my psyche that may be self-destructive and all of that because the entrepreneurial journey is its own hero's journey in its own sense. And I've faced a lot of stress in my life, particularly, you know, going through addiction and everything, but running a business is, uh, is 
twice as much stress at the least. So I am thankful for having an amazing team. I am thankful for us being a practitioner-run company that understands these medicines and understands how they can move into the world. We we don't come from an outside perspective on thinking that, hey, trying to understand how this can become monetized, but more so understanding how this can be effective for our participants and how we can really make it work and moving at a sustainable pace. Our seed funding round, when we launched it in 2020, I was pressured by numerous VCs to aim for a quick acquisition or a quick IPO and you know, was watching all of these hollow business models go up that were just smoke and mirrors that were getting valued in the hundreds of millions. And now we've seen what happened to all of those stocks. Many of them are penny stocks and many of them aren't even on the uh, listing anymore. So I've been very fortunate. We've been very fortunate that we know this space and we can see, we have the foresight to be able to see what directions it's going. And uh, we were, I'm happy that we only took on the right investors for our seed round. We ended up, I you know probably pitched over a hundred VCs um, and then finally, we made a decision to only take on angel independent investors for our seed round and only ones who have done the medicine before, actually. And so that was the blessing to where I did not receive a lot of pressure from our shareholders to expand and scale too quickly. We saw what happened with the companies that did. They are no longer here or getting sold for scraps. And so we're moving at... Uh, that nice balance between human pace and also breaking down walls, but knowing when to push forward and knowing when to ride the current and listen to the signs that are given to us throughout the universe. It's been an adventure. And of course it comes with its own weird mental challenges around engaging in business within spiritual practice and finding that dance has been beautiful. And at the end of the day, we get to come to the realization where there is no separation between the spiritual and the profane. It is all, it is all part of the same ocean. We are all part of the same quantum field. We are all part of the same expression of the Big Bang that exploded, you know, 13.8 billion years ago. We are all expansion in action. We are all the manifestation of creation. And when we can carry integrity and carry what we learn through these beautiful experiences and practices into business, then we can begin to navigate the shadow sides of the human condition that brought business to be what it is now and to do so much damage. So I really feel that we in these spaces, in the wellness and healing spaces and in the progressive and conscious spaces have a chance to shift the way business is done, to address the shadow aspects of our psyche that need to dominate and to understand how to collaborate and begin to work together. We really believe in collaboration over competition. And I think that's what's really gotten us here. We've got a great team because people want to come be a part of something beautiful. And uh, yeah. <laughs> mm, thank you so much. That's a perfect note to end on. Victoria, can you tell us where everybody can find you all? Absolutely. Yeah. So again, the five website is five-meo.education and the Tandava website is tandavaretreats.com. So you can find us there. Beautiful. And are you on all the social platforms as well? Yeah. Yeah. We've got Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the good things. Yeah. We'll, we'll give you the links for them. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for being here with us today and for the beautiful work you're doing and for the beautiful work you continue to do. So thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. Great Appreciate to share. It. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Microdosing for Healing podcast. Are you ready to take the next step? Please visit us at microdosingforhealing.com to access our free Microdosing 101 workshop. In it, you'll learn more about our diverse community, our supportive group programs, and discover if earth medicine practice might be right for you. See you in the next episode.